All right, so hey, we're going to be uh, picking up in Philippians uh, again today. So if you got your uh, phone, pull that up, or your Bible. Uh, we're going to be at the end of chapter 1 uh, and into the beginning of chapter 2. Um, but just a quick recap of kind of where we've been. Uh, Nicole started off by uh, teaching us, giving us a quick survey of uh, the church plant story of the church in Philippi. Um, and that story comes to us from uh, the book of Acts in chapter 16. We're not going to go there, but just to kind of give you a quick refresher. Uh, Paul hadn't actually planned to go to Philippi to plant a church there. He was planning on going somewhere else. Uh, but then the Spirit prevented him going where he was planning on going and instead uh, gave him a vision. Uh, uh, and the Spirit invited him to come to Macedonia and share the gospel uh, there. And Philippi a major city within that region of Macedonia. And so Paul went there. Uh, it's a Roman colony, which is pretty important uh, as well. Uh, we'll talk about that here in a minute. And so when Paul shows up to this uh, Roman uh, colony of Philippi, uh, he meets this businesswoman there. Uh, her name's Lydia, and she's uh, the first believer that comes to know Jesus there, and she's a leader in the church, and she actually hosts uh, the church in her home and starts to gather this group together. Um, and then uh, Paul and Silas, Silas was Paul's uh, companion in sharing the gospel there, his missionary uh, partner. Uh, they were preaching the gospel, um, and then they got thrown in prison uh, there because there is uh, a slave master who threw uh, them in prison because they healed uh, his slave. So there was this, uh, this young woman who was possessed by a, a demon, and they were actually using that, exploiting that to have her tell people's fortunes. And so Paul healed her in the name of Jesus. And it angered these uh, these people, and so they actually threw Paul and Silas in uh, prison for that. <clears throat> and then uh, when they're in prison, uh, God causes this earthquake to come, which opens up the prison doors. Uh, so they could have left, uh, and the jailer, when he wakes up, he hears this earthquake, he assumes that they run off and they've left uh, the jail, which means that he's going to get killed. And so he's about to kill himself, and then Paul stops him, and he says, hey, hang on, we're still here, we haven't gone anywhere. And so. God uses this event to change this jailer's heart. And miraculously, this guy says, what is it that I need to do to be saved? So he asks to come to know Jesus in that moment. And so God uses that to build the church. And so this jailer, he, he takes on Jesus as his savior. And then it says that his entire household was baptized uh, to follow Jesus. And so this is kind of like the church plant story of how the church in Philippi got formed. It's made up. Of, of Lydia, potentially of this, you know, prisoner uh, or this uh, prison guard and his family, lots of other people, but it's just an interesting kind of intersection of how God used all these different ways to build his church. Um, and then uh, Paul writes this letter to them, uh, which again, as he's writing this letter, uh, he's again in prison, you know, he does a lot of his writing from prison. Um, and, uh, He's waiting trial, and uh, as Paul's writing to them, he can't contain his joy and his thanksgiving over this group of people. Uh, he refers to them as partners in the gospel. Um, uh, he refers to them as partners in spreading the good news of the gospel of Jesus, and he prays uh, for them that their love would overflow more and more as they keep growing in their knowledge and in their, in their understanding of Jesus and his kingdom. And then pick, uh, Ben picked up and spent a couple of weeks uh, uh, preaching about um, uh, what Paul had to say uh, to the Philippians about a right view of life and death. 
And uh, though the Philippians were understandably anxious about their friend Paul, about him being in prison and him suffering, Paul reminds them that he is living in light of God's greater story, uh, that even in his imprisonment, the gospel was being preached and it was advancing. Uh, and he celebrated it. Even if the gospel was coming from the lips of people who he considered uh, his rivals, uh, Paul also celebrated that as well. Um, he told the Philippian church that he had peace even in the face of death because he knew that Jesus was alive and that Jesus was reigning as king. And so for him, living meant the opportunity to live for King Jesus and to continue this kingdom work. But dying was even better for him because he knew that he would get to be with Jesus. And he knew that the final enemy of death had no hold over him as long as the one who had conquered the grave was still Lord over all. So that's where we've been in the book of Philippians so far. That's kind of a quick recap. It brings you up to speed if you haven't been with us. Um, that brings us to our passage today at the end of chapter 1. Um, and this is really a central part of the book of Philippians that we're going to be studying and starting today. And it's about uh, the public life of the people of God. What does it look like for us to live this out together? And I think, um, I think this is timely teaching for us. The church is called life. But, you know, more broadly for the church, like, we need to be reminded of what this looks like for us to live out being the people of God in the public uh, square. What are we supposed to represent to those who aren't followers of Jesus? Um, what is it about us that should be attractive and inviting to them? And how do we communicate that we have a better story and a better king than what this world has to offer? So in our verses today and in the next couple weeks, Ben's going to pick up and kind of unpack this a bit more. Paul's introducing us to these uh, two interconnected sides uh, to living our faith out in the public square. And so these two sides are on one side, there is unity. And then on the other side, uh, there's holiness. So if we live this out together, we've got to pursue those two sides, unity and holiness. So that's where we're going. Um, I'm going to pray for us and we're going to uh, jump into Philippians. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Uh, God, thank you for this day. Thank you uh, that we get to gather here in the name of Jesus, our King. Thank you that we share that uh, together in this way, God. Thank you that where we gather, if it's inside brood or outside or the fortress or, or where more are gathered in your name, it's the good news, God, that you are here with us. Because you're present. Um, that your spirit uh, is in us, and there's something special about your people coming together and praising you, um, seeking you in your word, God. And so I pray, God, that you would allow us to meet you in this time, that you would speak to us and that you'd minister to us, God, and that um, you would continue to shape us to look more like Jesus, God, and that you would use us for your kingdom and your glory. And so I pray your blessing on this time. I pray that you would speak to us through Paul's words and the book of Philippians, God. And uh, bless us. All right, so um, I'm going to divide our passage up today uh, and talk about it in, in two different sections. Uh, I want to start with the first part, which is, uh, uh, let's start by reading in Philippians uh, chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. And we'll kind of talk about that a bit after we read it. So let's read this together. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you, or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, 
striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Let's talk about this for a little bit. Is there anything in that passage uh, that stands out to you? Anything that you notice? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, not an individualized belief or not just promise. You know, providence or good things to happen that there's suffering that we should expect. Anything else? Stand up. Sounds good. Awesome. Well, so one of the things I noticed uh, in this passage, uh, was studying it this week and just kind of meditating on it, is that uh, Paul is addressing uh, these people collectively, this, the Philippian church, that he's addressing them collectively as a community. Um, so he's talking about their public behavior, but he's speaking to them as if they operate collectively, like as a single unit. And that's interesting to me. You know, we live here in America, we live in a very individualistic society. Um, so we tend to consider our faith in a very individualistic way as well. Um, and that's not, you know, wrong or incorrect. Um, I think it's, I think it's incomplete. Um, as believers, you know, we, we have a personal, personal relationship with Jesus, uh, but, but also so much of the instruction for the people of God, both in the old and the new Testament is directed toward the community. Um, and that's the case with what Paul's teaching about here. And so as the church, there's a reality that we have, you know, a joint public witness together, you know, uh, for for better, for worse, you know, that's, that's the reality, you know. So what does it mean for us to become a Jesus-shaped people together and publicly in the midst of a watching and unbelieving world? As I mentioned earlier in this passage, um, Paul's presenting two interconnected sides of living our faith out in the public square. Uh, it requires unity, and it requires holiness. Um, and unity and holiness are two words that you know kind of get thrown a- around a lot in church settings. So I want to just you know take a minute just to kind of define you know what we mean by those things, or kind of how I'm talking about them, what I believe the Scripture is talking about here. Holiness is uh, it's about being pure and blameless, um, and unity means uh, it means oneness. Uh, it means uh, single-mindedness. Uh, but we have to be united in something. And uh, in this situation, um, as Paul's talking, uh, unity comes in Christ and in the gospel. So we're going to talk about that, you know, a little bit, because there are many other things that people can unite around. You know, there's there's thousands of things that we can unite around. But that's not the instruction we receive, we receive here. We're not talking about, you know, uniting around a political platform or a leader of choice around age or gender or socioeconomic status or anything like that. Uh, we are called to unite under the banner of Jesus Christ, who has filled believers with the Holy Spirit. So that's the foundation of our unity. Um, 
in Galatians 3, uh, Paul says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. For there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So I think what Paul's talking to us about here with unity is he's saying our primary identity as, is as children of God through the work of Jesus Christ, and that that ultimately is what unites us. But if we find our primary identity in something else, anything else other than that, uh, it's going to lead to division and a breakdown in unity because, you know, at that point, we're no longer operating as a single body you know, under the headship of Jesus. Um, but at the same time, I think that, um, you know, that body metaphor is helpful here. Uh, because it reminds me, it reminds us um, that we are to pursue unity together, uh, but not necessarily, uh, or not uniformity. And I think we kind of get those, uh, we confuse those things sometimes, that unity and uniformity are the same thing, and they're not. Unity is, is oneness, one mind, you know, but uniformity is sameness, you know, and that's definitely not what Paul is teaching about here. Because the thing about uniformity is that we always think others should be like us you know everyone should be uniform to us so using the body metaphor again you know if i'm in christ as a part of the body and i'm an arm you know or that's kind of my part of the body i have to be careful not to condemn everyone who is not functioning the same way as me you know because it's a body we function differently so i just want to kind of point out that difference because i think it's really important you know, that we don't get tied up and that unity and uniformity are not the same thing. So there are differences that we, that we can celebrate, celebrate how God is using those distinctions and differences. But ultimately, we find our oneness and our unity in Christ, uh, who's the head of the church. And so we have to remember that. Um, go back to living out our faith in the public square. Uh, we're to pursue unity and holiness. Um, and pursuing those sides together and equally, I think, is where uh, the challenge is for us. You know, that's kind of where the rub's at. Um, it's easier if we prioritize one of those things over the other, either unity or holiness. Uh, if we value unity and togetherness, you know, we run the risk of, of, of not fighting for holiness in each other's lives. You know, we're willing to just turn a blind eye. Uh, we don't rock the boat. Uh, we just, you know, want to be together. So we don't address areas of sin or unrighteousness in each other. And I don't believe that's what we're called to do. But on the flip side, holiness can be relatively easy. You know, I would say easy, but it's it's relatively easy if we don't care about unity and the togetherness of the body. So if we just focus on an individual pursuit of holiness, you know, maybe as we define it, um, and then we just separate ourselves off, then, you know, that's not right either. So it's putting them together, this pursuit of unity and holiness together, when we see what it looks like to be a Jesus-shaped people in the public square. Um, so let's dive a little bit deeper in here. I'm going to look at the first part of verse 27. So Paul says here, he says, Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Um, this is interesting. So uh, in the this is from the, the ESV. In the footnotes of the ESV translation, uh, it says that this can also be translated as uh, to behave as citizens of heaven, worthy of the gospel of Christ. 
Um, in fact, maybe some of your translations uh, uh, put it that way. I'm uh, reading through the New Living Translation uh, this year, and that's the way that translation puts it. But I think this uh, this idea or this truth of behaving as citizens of heaven, having our citizenship in heaven, is really helpful for me to kind of un- unpack. You know what I think Paul's talking to us about here. So, just what what comes to mind? Whenever we talk about what it means to be a citizen of heaven, um, what comes to mind uh, for you when we talk about that? Yeah, yeah. Jesus is our king. He uh, defines his kingdom. Anything else? Citizens, citizenship in heaven or citizens of heaven? So as I uh, mentioned earlier, Philippi was a Roman colony. So it was meant to be, uh, you know, like an outpost for the empire. So Roman citizenship was a big deal here. Like it meant a lot. It carried a lot of weight behind it. And the thing about citizenship in the Roman Empire, uh, with this example, is that it wasn't about, you know, the city of Rome being your home. Like if you were in Philippi and you're a Roman citizen, it wasn't about like, oh, I live in Rome. Like you live in Philippi. Um, it was about bringing Roman culture, uh, Roman order, and Roman rule to your city, which in this case was Philippi. It was about being under the headship and authority of the Roman Empire, like you were talking about, you know, Daniel. It's like we, they they agree that like Caesar was Lord, Caesar is king, you know, and that's part of what makes up the structure of being within the Roman Empire and being a citizen of this empire. But just the very fact that, you know, their presence being in the city there, you know, they were supposed to cultivate Roman culture. And so um, I think as Paul's writing here, he's reminding the Philippian church uh, that they belong to a greater kingdom with a greater king. And that, you know, their lifestyle, uh, their manner of life, as ESV, ESV puts it, should be aligned with the values and priorities of that kingdom. And that their very presence in this city should be cultivating the culture of a different kingdom. That their lives should be distinct than uh, the Roman citizens. They have their citizenship in heaven. And so we've talked about this a lot and prayed for this with salt and light. Um, that when people encounter us as a community, uh, that they think, hey, you know, that's interesting. That looks like a different kingdom. Uh, those people seem to have you know, a different set of values and priorities um, and purpose um, that looks different. And, you know, it's not because we value being different or that, yeah, help yourself, sweetheart. <clears throat> um, yeah, it's not valuing being different for different sake, you know. Um, that's missing the point, but we want to live our lives oriented around King Jesus and his kingdom. And we want to see his kingdom. Ultimately, we want to see his kingdom come uh, in Fort Worth as it is in heaven. And I think that's kind of, you know, you know, Emily, what you were talking about reminds me of that. We know that Jesus is king, that he has come, that he's established, uh, inaugurated his kingdom here on earth, and he has given us a new way to live, but it's not fully here yet. And so what's our role in being a part of that kingdom advancing here? We're to live as citizens of heaven. So the, li- the way we live should be very distinct and different because we have a different set of values. Different set of values and priorities. Um, okay, so let's dig a little bit further into verse 20, uh, 27. 
Paul writes that he wants to hear that the Philippian church is standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. Um, which I think somebody brought that up, not being frightened by your opponents. So uh, Paul's talking about unity here, and he's giving us this picture of like, almost kind of like an image of like a sports team, you know, being side by side, or a military unit operating together in one spirit and one mind. Um, and the fact that they're not to be frightened of their opponents or what their opponents are bringing to them. Um, the Greek language here is, it's kind of communicating, you know, being like skittish or frightened. You know, it's like getting spooked, you know, when you see the enemies coming, you just kind of like get nervous and turn around and run. I think what, what Paul's envisioning here is that, you know, the enemy can't exploit breaks and cracks, you know, and kind of the wall that's formed here because of the, the courage of the Philippian church. Like that's his hope for them. And that, you know, in the face of opposition, you know, if the Philippian church is able to stand united in that, like Curtis was saying, it should communicate something to the opposition to say like, What's up with these Christians? Like, they don't seem to be, like, worked up or worried about the fact that they're experiencing persecution. So it actually testifies to the fact that there is uh, someone uh, in control who's greater and better behind this, giving them this confidence. So I think, you know, um, I think that's important for us to remember, you know? Last thing I want to look at and touch on here uh, in this section, and we'll read the, the second half, is in verse 29. Uh, Riley touched on this part. Uh, it's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer his, for his sake. So this passage, Paul is, you know, teaching us that faith is a gift. You know, it's been granted to you, this faith. And I think that we'd all agree, like, yeah, faith is a gift. But then he also talks about suffering being a gift, which I think that that's probably a bit harder. It's a bit hard for me to wrap my head around, like that being a gift, you know, to me. But, you know, Paul is living it right now. He's, you know, he's experienced that opposition and that suffering uh, constantly. He's in prison right now writing this. But somehow um, he's also experienced great joy. And I think it's because he's in partnership with Jesus and he knows that. And he also views uh, the Philippian church as partners in this as well. Um, so, I, you know, I don't know exactly, you know, what to say about that part, other than I think that, that that's important for us to remember, remember is that as believers that we ultimately will encounter suffering, you know, following in the steps of Jesus and pursuing him. But that having our eyes on our king who has suffered ahead of us, who, uh, who has experienced that ahead of us, uh, should give us comfort that he's with us in that. Um, okay, so let's pick up. Let's read some more in uh, chapter 2. So let's look at verses 1 through 5. It says, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish, selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So I think, you know, what we're getting a bit of a taste of here in this section is uh, a bit of a motivation uh, around why we should live this life of unity. Sure. Um, but before I kind of, you know, 
keep talking, dig in a little bit more. What sticks out in that passage? Is there anything that kind of popped to the surface as we were reading through that? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, because, you know, if you have, like, a connection point, you know, with a friend, like, you're both into, like, certain things that we have in common, you know, that thing goes away, and you don't have a foundation. You know, have, like, a good friend like that. That's good. So, uh, in this in this section, I think that Paul gives us four reasons for pursuing community, like motivations for why we should pursue this together. And he kind of frames, there's kind of a little bit of a, a Trinitarian framework to this, a bit, you know. Um, so at the beginning of this passage, we see that there is uh, comfort and encouragement when you belong to King Jesus and his family. So we should be comforted and encouraged when we remind each other that we're a part of the family of King Jesus. And then the second one is that there should be a growing sense of the Father's love for you and Jesus, which in turn, you know, should create love and affection for this family that we're that we've been invited into, um, because it's that love that sustains us, and it's this love that gives us, you know, the joyfulness that this book of Philippians is so known for. It's overflowing uh, love from the Father. <clears throat> and then the third one is. Uh, participation or fellowship in the spirit so uh, as believers scripture teaches us that we're all you know we're all temples uh, of the holy spirit that the holy spirit dwells in us and as we work together uh, we should see that the same spirit that dwells uh, in us is working through our brothers and sisters that we're united around the mission of our king and we should be encouraged you know, that you're not alone. You're not in this all alone. That God is working through us for common purpose and fellowship together. Um, yeah, so, I, you know, there's that comfort and encouragement when you belong to King Jesus. A growing sense of the Father's love towards you in Christ. And then participation and fellowship in the Spirit. So that, you know, helps frame up, you know, the motivation and unity in the body of Christ. And Paul says that these things should lead us to a life that's marked by affection and sympathy towards others um you know i think this is like you know a beautiful thing to think about you know having affection and sympathy towards each other but also towards the world um and i think that if we don't feel these things you know if we feel like more coldness or indifference you know or even hostility towards others i think this is a good indicator of us kind of doing some of the work that we talked about in dna groups kind of you know, tracing back the fruit of that in our heart. You know, do you know that you are accepted and loved by the Father, um, that through Jesus that you're part of God's family, and that the same affection that the Father has towards you that he feels towards others, you know, that he's pursuing them, he's filled you with his spirit to try and be a part of that pursuit and that mission to bring other people into the family? Because if we're feeling coldness or hostility or things like that, I think it's just a good opportunity for us to kind of go back in our hearts, kind of trace that back, because God's been so generous and so good to us, you know? So that should lead us to more affection and sympathy uh, for other people around us. And then this last part, you know, uh, Paul talks to us about our posture, you know, and I think this is super important for us to consider as well. So humility and being other-centered, you know, Daniel brought that up and talked about it. Um Humility at this time in like a Greek and Roman culture uh, was super countercultural. I mean, I think it is now as well. 
uh, for sure. But in the Roman culture, selfish ambition is what drove the quest for honor and for glory uh, in the ancient world. Um, but Jesus brought this completely different kingdom. You know, um, his way was very different. And it was marked by, you know, the model that he set. And we're going to talk about that more in next week's sermon. But Jesus set a very different posture uh, for his followers. And it was a posture of humility. And he calls us, you know, as his followers, he wants us to follow him in that. And he says that along the way that we're going to experience suffering and hardship, but he also tells us that his kingdom is better and that it has no end and that his kingdom has no end. So we're to count others more significant than ourselves. Um, and we're not to look just to our own interests, uh, but also to the interests of others. And I think that what's, you know, what stuck out to me about this is that Paul didn't say that, you know, that your interests, like, don't look out for your own interests. You know, that's kind of comforting to me. I feel like that sometimes that's an extreme that we go towards, that, like, our own interests don't matter. But he doesn't say that here. He says to, to count others more significant than ourselves, not to look only at our own interests, but also the interests of others. So we're supposed to, he all knows how much we care about our own interests. He's just saying, like, if we look at others, we should, like, level up their interests to kind of that same level in the way that we consider them, consider what they're interested, you know? And to me, that's kind of like, that's helpful, you know, kind of shifts uh, things in my motivation. Um, this particular part made me think about, you know, as an example, uh, when Paul was in prison, is uh, in Acts 16, uh, he gets thrown in prison, and God sent that earthquake and opened the prison gates. And in that moment, like, it was probably in Paul's best interest, you know, you would think, be like, I'm going to leave now, you know, run out. And I always thought, I was like, why didn't he, why didn't he leave? Like Peter had done that. You know, the angel specifically told Peter, I think, to leave. But Paul here, Paul and Silas, they just stay in prison, even though the doors are open, you know. And uh, I don't know Paul's, you know, motivation in that moment. Uh, I'm sure that he probably would have known that if he would have escaped, that that jailer would have gotten killed because that was pretty common practice, you know, within the Roman Empire. So, I don't know, but maybe perhaps in that moment, Paul was practicing a bit, you know, of what he's preaching here in that moment, of like considering others' interests and their good, you know, at least at our own level or above ourselves, you know, so practicing humility in that. So here at Salt and Light, and I'm wrapping up here, this is, this is the end. Here at Salt and Light, we want to pursue discipleship together. And we talk about that as by seeking to be with Jesus, uh, to become like Jesus, and to do the things that Jesus did. And, you know, I think that what's important, one of the things that's important for us to consider here is that this isn't just like a personal uh, model, uh, a model for personal discipleship, that this really is a, a framework for us as a community to pursue Jesus together um, and to be shaped by that. Um, so as we gather around his word, as we pursue the mind of Christ, we want to seek unity in Christ. And if we give ourselves to that practice and trust that God is doing a work in us, by God's grace, we believe that we will become to become we will become more Christ-like, that we will begin to become like Jesus, that our lives will begin to look more selfless, more other-centered, that we will care more about the interests of others, you know, practicing that posture of humility like Jesus practiced. 
and that we will fight for holiness in ourselves and others because Jesus is holy and because we want to become like him. And as God makes us more Christ-like, we pray that we would live our lives as if Jesus is living through us. And that sounds like crazy, you know, to talk about that. But that's what we believe, you know, is we have access to the mind of Christ and his will, which is what, you know, Paul talks about here. And as we know that we are filled with the Holy Spirit to carry out Jesus' mission on earth, we want to be people who, like our King, are willing to give up our lives for God and for others. Because we know uh, that's where we'll find true and lasting joy, that type of joy that Paul's talking about here, that even in the midst of prison and suffering, that he's experiencing joy because he's a part of God's kingdom and a part of what God's doing. So that's my prayer for us. Um, yeah, and we're going to take communion. Uh, so if you've got your communion, if you haven't uh, uh, taken communion with us, there's kind of two levels. You kind of pull off the clear, clear wrapper and you'll get this bread-like product on top. Um, but as we come to this time of communion, I want us to remember uh, the unity that we have in Christ. Um, but today on Sunday, the Lord's Day, the people all around the world and all types of different cultures took bread and they remembered uh, Christ's broken body for them. So we share this same meal with people all around the world, different socioeconomic status, and we all come to the same table. And we come to the same table as beggars, you know, as people who don't have anything to bring and to offer, to deserve a seat at the table. We come as bankrupt sinners, but a great price was paid for our admission, for our seat at the king's table, around this big table where we can be unified around Jesus as the king. And it's the great uh, host of that party. And so let's take this bread and let's remember Christ's body, which was broken for us. And let's be re uh, reminded of the unity that we have in Christ. Let's take it. And next, uh, we're going to take this juice. For God so loved the world that he sent his son, Jesus, who lived a perfect life. And although he was blameless and he was innocent, Christ died for us. So this juice represents Jesus' blood. As we drink it together, as believers all around the world today, took and drink, drank this today, and we be reminded that it was Jesus' precious blood that was shed to cleanse us of our sin to make us holy. Awesome. Um, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll be done. All right? wrap up. Gracious Heavenly Father, God, thank you for uh, this day. Thank you. Um, thank you that we get to be a part of your church, of uh, the body of Christ. Thank you for the unity that we have in Jesus. Uh, thank you that you uh, pursued us, that you, uh, Jesus, that you died, you gave your life for us to bring us into your family. God, I pray that as your family that we would fight for unity uh, together, God, uh, oneness in you, Jesus. Um, I pray that we would also fight for uh, holiness, God, uh, within your church, God. That is your people that we would care very much about the fact that Jesus, you died 
uh, to pay for our sins so that we are not to live in it anymore. And so I pray that you would, uh, God, invite us to, to follow you to a life of purity and holiness. God. And I pray that we would uh, encourage one another in that. Teach us, God, how to um, live this out, being your people in the public square. God, this is so hard right now. There's so much division and fighting, um, disagreement. Um, God, we pray that you would just work through us in our community, God, uh, that you would help us to seek your kingdom first. You would help us to seek Jesus as our king. Uh, God, that you would uh, give us a desire to invite other people into this, um, into your kingdom and into this community, God, because we believe it's better than the, the kingdom of this world. We believe that you have more to offer um, in the way of this world, God. God, use us for your kingdom and your glory. Go with us uh, this week, God, go ahead of us, God. Remind us that we are temples of the Holy Spirit, God, going out from this place, God. Uh, be salt and light through us in our community, God. Yeah, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.